Welcome to the Global Trade Review podcast channel and to the GTR Commodities 2020 podcast. I'm Ted George, founder and chief narrative officer of Kleos Advisory. This year, GTR Commodities took place digitally, as did most of this year's conferences. The topics we discussed ranged from, inevitably, the impact of COVID on commodity finance and value chains, to business continuity, risk and fraud management, and the future of commodity finance. For this podcast, I've selected excerpts from three sessions, along with my closing remarks, to give you a flavor of our discussions. All sessions from GTR Commodities 2020 Virtual are available on demand on GTR's digital conference platform. To register for free access, visit www.gtreview.com forward slash events. We start with a panel entitled Embracing the Future. How is the commodity landscape likely to evolve? This panel was moderated by Andrew Glass, founder and managing director of Avatar Commodities. His panelists were Tasneem Kruger-Valley, Director of Structured Commodity Finance at Deutsche Bank, Bob Anglis, Head of Commodity Business Center at Bank of China, Michael Rolf, Head of Commodity Finance at BACB, Orhan Gunas, Head of Commodity Trade Finance at Sparebank Switzerland, and Paul Thomas, Head of Structured Finance at Filias. Andrew started by asking Tasneem how important is collaboration to success in both commodity finance and in deploying new technologies in the value chain. Being African, I'm going to start with an African proverb. If you want to walk fast, walk alone. But if you want to walk far, work together. And I think the answer in short is yes, collaboration is always the key to success. And maybe just to bring it a little closer to home within Deutsche Bank, we really have bilateral deals in our global portfolio. Our business model is such that we arrange commodity transactions for the syndication market. And so we work very closely with our colleagues from distribution, Boris Jacquet, who you all know well in the market, with our coverage colleagues, credit to structure and deliver transactions. Looking beyond into the market, I think in general, as banks look to decrease risk and concentration as a result of the huge COVID impact and the disruption in supply that we see, I think we are certainly going to see wider and larger syndications versus smaller club deals with those participants who choose to stay in the market. But I'd like to address the second part of your question as well with regards to technology collaboration. You know, tech-focused products have what banks need. They have agility, they have a low-cost base, um, they have great low-frictionless experiences. Banks have what tech companies need, credibility, trust, and a large customer base. And I think combining the two will lead to much better banking experiences across all sectors, including ours. And at Deutsche Bank, um, we've already embraced this with our collaboration to join forces with Google Cloud. So we formed a strategic partnership um, that aims to redefine how we develop and offer our financial services to our client. A great answer. Would anyone like to add on that? Yeah, we all know that fintech is the future of our business. It's, it's got to be. There is certainly a need for, especially in the last, in just through the last six months, We've seen a lot of changes in the way people work, the way people operate, and specifically in banking. So, you know, the, the, the better technology we've got, the better options we have to, to make this work. Plus also the traders need to find ways of making their, their business much more efficient and much quicker. The days of, you know, lots of documents flying around by post or courier, 
has got to come to an end because everything's got to be done, you know, electronically. However, there are some drawbacks is that at the moment what we've got is so many different options offering different types of solutions, but no real one uh, comprehensive or universal approach. So I think there needs to be a certain amount of, if not consolidation, then certainly a lot more collaboration. We do need a fintech solution, but it's needed now. It's not needed in a year, 18 months or two years' time. And and that's the biggest issue you've got with fintech at the moment. It's not there at the present time. Yeah, very very good point. I mean, I just I had a meeting earlier this week with one of the government ministers here uh, in Singapore, and they were lamenting the fact that they've had the credibility issues, obviously around the um, around the commodities industry here with uh, Hing Leong and some others as well within the region. Um, and they're a little bit lamenting that the technology they feel is here, the the blockchain technology and other technologies to be able to avoid sort of multiple multiple collateral pledges. Is there an industry body do you believe that can pull? the global industry to get the global financial and banking industry together to be able to find these kind of solutions and collaborate at that level? I think it's, it's a very um, in, interesting point that goes down to uh, into digitalization is um, it's in some ways who owns the platform and so on. And how can we feel that it's, it's truly independent and operating on its, on its own merits uh, without being influenced in any way? Uh, and it, it's very difficult to get away from the uh, uh, the paper methodologies, uh, but um, the uniform customs practice, so on, all has a, a big role to play in getting this digitalization there. Um, and I'm purposely calling it digitalization away from blockchain because we all get um, somewhat um, carried away and confused with blockchain. I think really where we're looking for a number of solutions is is through digitalization to reduce the level of paperwork. We also need to, I mean, be realistic about our expectations because, I mean, what we see in the market is there is an over-expectation about tech and tech is evolving at the moment. I mean, there is no concrete solution, as Bob Bob just uh, pointed. I mean, a concrete solution will also come in time. I mean, it is we are at a huge evolution at the moment. Therefore, uh, the expectations and uh, the achievements in this area, I mean, we need to, like, align our... Uh, ourselves accordingly as well. The other thing is that we need to forget some of the things we know like from the past. For example, it should be decentralized. I mean, if you would like to achieve um, an immutable and decentralized uh, platform, then we need to like forget some of the like um, intuitive things and uh, we need to reinvent the new, the new norms. Also, the industry, um, what we have seen in um, last eight months or six months, it's a starting point, of course, because uh, like I, I have been speaking to a lot of people who are very skeptical about tech as well, and um, and and over hopeful people as well. So I think we need to align our expectations in this area um, sooner than later. That's uh, that's great. Thanks. Are banks likely to go back to focusing on certain geographies um, and or sectors rather than trying to be all things to all people? I'll give it to you, Michael. I think yeah, banks will certainly um, uh, retreat to their local geographies. Um, I, I, I hate to say it, especially as I'm in such an esteemed company on this call, um, bankers tend to have a bit of a herd mentality. Uh, and when one runs for the hills, uh, they all tend to run for the hills. So 
banks will go back to their local areas. And, and they tend to, to, to then fall back on what their stakeholders want them to generate income from. And in the commodity finance and in the commodity trading uh, areas, um, there is less understanding at the very top of what we're, what we're doing in terms of financing international trade. A bank like BACB that is headquartered in London, they're not going to finance a borrower in the middle of Russia or indeed uh, in the middle of China. That's not our um, appetite area. Our appetite is working uh, with traders uh, within Europe as a borrower that may have uh, international or global businesses. Um, so we, we really haven't got too much retreating to, uh, uh, to actually do because we're, we're centred here. But I can see, uh, I can certainly see changes, changes coming for um, certain, certain regions, in particular where, where some of the frauds have occurred. That's, uh, that's great. Thanks. Will the early adopters of digital systems prove to be the winners in the new landscape um, as people change their approach to old school ways of doing things in paper? And we've touched on some of these issues already. So with that, I'd like to pass the lead on that, uh, that answer across to Orhan. It's, um, it's a matter of collaboration again, because um, there's no straight, uh, straightforward answer to that. I mean, it is, uh, as I just said, like, you know, it's an evolutionary process. And we need to collaborate all together and steer the whole industry towards that direction. But while doing so, I think the um, direction will shift during this, this process a lot. And uh, what we have seen at the beginning, the hopes about the smart contracts or blockchain, I mean, faded for a while when we have seen the actual um, actual cases. And now it's, it's coming back uh, there further development on smart contracts and there's amazing development on OCR and machine learning. So we need to, I think, be very open-minded to think about like these applications. But when it comes to um, collaboration, as we see, like, I mean, the early adopters, especially focusing in certain industries like Agri or another platform we also have joined very recently, uh, Congo, I think this shows uh, the collaboration efforts and the intention of the industry, I think, going towards this direction. But uh, again, like I think there will be in time some special solutions offered by each institution at their best. And um, all, of, all of these institutions or platforms will focus on a certain area and specialize in, in those certain areas. So I think customized tech solutions has a long way to go. And um, and we need to adapt ourselves. I I suspect like there will be a lot of hurdles on the way to that, but um, I keep being very very hopeful, and um, because like this industry always finds its way to the right direction. So hopeful, but on the same time uh, living in the future with a lot of efforts. Nothing will come easy. Andrew finished by asking his panelists to give their key takeaways on the future of commodity finance. First up. I think as an industry, we need to reframe our thinking about the commodities industry as an ecosystem. From production through processing, supply chain, trade therein, the dependencies, the dynamics inherently create a symbiosis. We were talking about early adopters. I don't know that that will work. I think digitalization has to be a strategic imperative for the entire trade ecosystem. So for it to work and work successfully, the entire ecosystem has to be an adopter. Then we'll see the step change 
that people have been discussing today and all of the themes that have come through, like transparency, risk mitigation, fraud prevention, to win such as greater efficiencies along the value chain. I think that 2020 is really going to be the year of loans. What we've seen pre-COVID was CFOs, treasurers being very, very efficient in terms of their balance sheet management, um, negotiating the last percentage out of their interest from lenders, making sure that cash went back to shareholders and being very aware of the cost of cash carry on their balance sheets. Then COVID hit. All of a sudden, you had this huge demand for liquidity. So unless you were a Zoom or an Amazon or some sort of technology company who've been clear winners in this pandemic, um, you were in difficult straits. And immediately, those low interest rates spiked. And so there was this huge need of liquidity. So immediately, I think we're going to see a shift in behavior from CFOs and treasurers in terms of now looking at finding ways to get pockets of liquidity in their balance sheet, which in the short term are going to cost them more, but it's going to give them security to be able to head off the next potential risk or or, or, um, crisis. Going forward, you're going to see a lot of capital raisings, you're going to see bond issuances. So it's going to be a very interesting time over the next quarter, two, three quarters. Thank you very much. Orhan? I think there's a gap in the market we should be filled. I mean, leaving the market is uh, can be a choice, but um, for for banks like us who are growing in this area, I think it's a very good opportunity. So we see it as an opportunity to grow our activities. We are fortes in certain areas, but we are going to focus and grow uh, from those certain areas. But um, there's no need to despair. I think history repeats itself, definitely. I mean, this kind of periods also happened in the the past. But um, I I think bankers should definitely focus on uh, quality or due diligence. It is quite cliche to say that, but that quality matters a lot. We need to be more on the ground. We need to understand the trades. We need to employ people from, from trades itself. Um, I think that should be very much like cross-employment between like commodity traders and the banks and the financiers or alternative financiers, because um, I think bankers focus too much on banking rather than trade and commodity. Yeah, very good point. Nice of that cross-fertilization idea too. Um, Paul? Very positive, uh, very positive outlook on, on the African market. Um, I think it's going to be a huge growth area over the, over the next 10, 20 years. Um, I still see a lot of demand for, for products import and, and, and crude export. Um, from a, a lending perspective, I think if banks can get themselves comfortable or in terms of the security and in terms of the collateral of a, of a structured transaction and then um, be able to, to reflect, that, reflect their pricing to, to match that security and that, that collateral, then there's still very, very good margins to be made in, in the African market. Good. Positive message. Thank you. Over to you, Michael. Commodities are still located in regions where they can't be used. They need to move across to places where they can be manufactured into uh, into the right product. Things always go in cycles. It's been a bad time with um, with the frauds. Uh, the market does get over them, um, and it learns from those um, those frauds, or we hope it learns from those frauds. And I. Certainly, uh, as to what was said earlier, uh, diligence needs to be looked at. But I can see the credit and collateral management areas of banks uh, becoming even more important. After the run for uh, the bigger balance sheet, I think it will be uh, looking at the underlying quality of the transactions, uh, which are the thing of the future. Next up, a topic that has become mainstream in commodity finance, sustainability. 
Is it a nice to have or a must have? My panelists for this discussion were Mikhail Hendricks, CEO and founder of the FarmStrong Foundation, Dr. Maria Mogilnaya, Principal of the Trade Facilitation Program at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, Ian Sayers, Head of Sustainable Enterprise Development at the International Trade Center, and Saqib Mustafa, Director of Structured Trade and Receivable Finance at Santander. During our discussion, we touched on one of the most sensitive and controversial questions, the elephant in the bedroom of sustainability, so to speak, namely measuring impact, or as is more often the case, failing to measure impact. So much money and effort has been poured into sustainability programs, but our ability to measure their impact is hampered by poor data and lack of visibility on the ground. I started by asking Mikhail where the blind spots are in the commodity value chain and how these are being addressed. If you look at these particular points you, you, you're raising, hey, you, you can basically divide up a lot of things hey, in, di in different phases. Hey, one is hey, a standard and what it is exactly, that, that's not even that relevant. I don't think you will ever get the perfect st standard because conditions are different everywhere, ecosystems are different, uh, but you have one thing, it's a standard. Uh, and then the, the second point is, you know, how are you going to implement interventions uh, to make uh, processes, behaviors, etc., cetera, uh, compliant to the standard you impose? That's already quite tricky if you look at the ecosystems where we operate. Uh, but then again, you know, if you work on the implementation, then at some point people want to know is what you say you do, have you actually done it? And so you get in this famous discussion of audit systems, conformity or compliance uh, uh, assessment. That, 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 that's, that's a very difficult one uh, in, in areas where we operate. And then, of course, the, the big question, the last question is, you know, does it actually make a lot of sense? What is the impact of all these activities? Has it actually done something positively for your target group? Uh, if you look at certain commodities, every, every, everybody has done very well out of it, uh, apart from the target, uh, the, the, the farmers of cocoa, coffee, cashew, whatever. Uh, they have not really uh, uh, moved up the, the ladder as, as, as we hoped for. Uh, so that requires quite a bit of thought. Uh, and if you also look at the different KPIs, uh, you have different levels of KPIs, you have input, uh, output, outcome, impact. Uh, uh, and what I've seen mostly so far in, in this finance-related loans, uh, discounts, if you look at the criteria where we comply into are, are really, I would say, light uh, and always on the input level. Uh, and then you have to always ask the question now, uh, is it interesting? Is it important? And what always helps is, uh, so what? Uh, so if you, if you say, okay, we have trained 10,000 farmers, yeah, we, so what? Uh, what? What does that mean? Not an awful lot. Uh, so it, it's very important that people understand where are we in these different phases and where do we need to to get for a positive impact for our target group. Uh, so it, it, I think it requires a bit of thought and, and, and work before you can come up with something which is solid and, and acceptable for everybody. Yeah, because I think also it comes back to reflecting the reality that the value chain is made up of millions of human beings and bits of machinery and, uh, and warehouses. And, you know, all of that has to eventually somehow seamlessly flow. But there's so many blockages and slippages in there. On this issue of, you know, how good are, is the traceability, I'd like to ask you, Maria, as well, because you've mentioned several of the principles which guide a lot of the work that you do. But how is this question of actually knowing that you're genuinely measuring an impact and you're not fooling yourself with, uh, with bad data? I mean, I, I, I must say that I am in a privileged position because as the EBRD, as an international development bank, we have access to very much different resources than a normal commercial bank or a financier or commodity uh, trader would, would have. And we have a team of engineers who work uh, with us 
So I have a counterpart in the EBRD's energy efficiency and climate change uh, uh, who works with me uh, daily on the green trade facilitation program. But uh, what I have uh, seen, and if I to answer your question, what are the um, uh, blind spots or bottlenecks? I think I could name two. One is data and uh, one is uh, material risks. And let me elaborate on this. So in terms of data, uh, when it comes to commodities, we do look at sustainably sourced materials. And at the EBRD, we accept internationally uh, recognized certifications as a baseline for, as an eligibility criteria, whether we would uh, classify a transaction supporting such commodity as green or not. However, there are so many different uh, sustainability certifications that we have a team who had explored for several months all the different metrics that come and you have to unpack every certification. For example, if you look at um, Forestry Stewardship Council, they have three primarily topics. They want to be economical, sustainable, and social. Economical meaning that the companies that are certified, they can make a profit. And they will, because they, are sustainable, they sell sustainably sourced timber, uh, we have uh, also the uh, environmental impact. It means that the forestry, there is a sustainable forestry management and social, meaning that you create jobs uh, for the people who work uh, in your enterprise. But uh, not every international certification is very clear as to what they really measure and how they measure it. And that's, that's the problem. There is a lot of data that needs to be consolidated and um, there will be not one single uh, KPI, so to say. You can't say, okay, if you reach this KPI, then you can say that it's green. In terms of material risks, uh, this goes back to the measurements that uh, Mikael uh, mentioned and uh, all the companies, especially in the EU, they will have to report, they have to disclose climate-related uh, financial risks. And this also includes material risks. Uh, this is coming, this is part of the uh, all, all the green finance at the EU. Uh, we are very much uh, trying to align with that because uh, the European Union is one of the shareholders at the EBRD and it's very important that we transfer this knowledge to the emerging markets in our regions. And here, of course, for commodities, it very, will be very important, uh, not only for the supply chain, but also for financiers to be able to identify and understand and then to manage and report material risks. So if you take coffee soon as the climate changes, coffee will need to move up in the latitude. So we will not be able to grow coffee where we grow it today. It will have to be grown somewhere else. Uh, I have heard uh, that um, uh, wineries from the Champagne region in France, they actually buy plots of land in, the, in England because soon this will be the place to grow the best grapes for Champagne. This is something that the financiers of the future will need to know. They will need to know where there will be heat waves, where there will be water scarcity, because wheat and cotton will not grow where it grows today. I have actually had English champagne, uh, organic. Very, very nice indeed. So yeah, bring the champagne over here. <laughs> yes, no, I just wanted to see if I could get Ian's view on this one as well, on, on measuring impact, and then Mikhail, you can make a comment. Uh, thank you, Edward. Yes, uh, this is also a subject that Mikhail and I have talked about endlessly uh, with each other. Uh, I honestly think the biggest challenge for all of us, especially in these in new uh, supply markets, commodity supply markets, uh, as they evolve, is the whole thing about verification of personal identity, verification of actually what anyone is claiming to have in terms of certificate or, or some kind of working practice. Uh, and the challenge is, of course, cost. And the more 
sophisticated standards that get it set up with more different types of audit arrangements than the higher the cost. And what we find is that we have entrepreneurs who maybe uh, they get support from a project, a development project to uh, get to organic certification, uh, which costs them you know, $4,000 a year to get verified. Uh, so it's good for the first year, the project stops. They might continue the, the, the certification audit fee for the second year or paying the registration fee for the second year, but then it stops. And it's generally coming down to a cost issue or what kind of impartial body you can find locally to go out and check these things without incurring such an enormous cross. At the moment, we're not even at the first step. And for me, there are three steps. Uh, the first is, um, some of you may, may have heard of ITC's sustainability map, uh, huge database, more than 260 different voluntary sustainability standards around the world where you can compare on like with like terms. We've also just launched uh, something called Sustainability Exchange, which is a pilot at the moment uh, where um, we have about, say, 60,000 enterprises uh, registered on our site with their sustainability and social inclusion credentials and the last date of their audit. So one way of getting more into this thing, a sort of lower cost entry point, if you like, when you're talking about sustainable trade financing, could be as a first step, you define which of the standards you're going to have as uh, those that are acceptable criteria for your sustainable financing. And you just check against the ones that are available and you check against the, the enterprises who are registered. Now, the second step, you need to kind of build out from that. And the third and ultimate step, this is where I hand over to Mikiel, is all about the technology that's arriving now, which uh, thankfully has gone from the test stage into the rollout stage. It's, it's getting to a state where it can be reliable and used effectively, cost-effectively, and on simple smartphones around the world. Over to you, Mikhail, I think. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to make a comment on what Maria said earlier huh, about uh, um, the, the, the coffee situation huh, that, that moves up the altitude. Uh, that, that's not anecdotal. That, I mean, it has been scientifically proven uh, quite a bit, especially on the western coast of South America and Central America. You see definitely you now things moving up. The very problem is at some point you're on the top of the mountain and where do you go then next? Uh, and, and we know that from our direct experience because uh, what you can substitute the coffee with is with cocoa eh, because that, that grows on, on lower altitude at, at higher temperatures, doesn't need that, that cool air. Um, so that, that is definitely happening. Eh? Not that you need the cocoa, but it, that, that's often promoted as an alternative. Well, um, it would certainly change everything because of course Latin America produces so much coffee that uh, if it were to switch to cocoa, then it might actually be able to start replacing Africa as this kind of bulk provider, potentially. Yeah, but uh, look, look at what happened with the price, eh? because the consumption will not double up uh, what, what will be produced additionally. And, and yet they also saw had part of, the, of that uh, solution of, of altitude. Uh, is one of the, the large uh, specialty coffee companies now is starting uh, uh, with programs in, in Congo, you know, where you have mountains subdued to the snow. It's, 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 so that, that is something which uh, is, uh, is definitely... Um, happening and, and what Ian said with regards to cost I think cost is one aspect and uh, the cost of all these verifications we have to put into place uh, to, to please the donors or the, the banks or uh, customers but I think what you also see is that uh, if this becomes more and more expensive it also has a big influence uh, on let's call it the objectivity of the people mm -hmm. doing the verification 
we use satellites, LIDAR, drones, we have all, all, all that kind of uh, remote sensing, because actually what you have to do at the same time, uh, uh, reduce that exposure to the subjectivity of humans. If you take stuff, images with, with a satellite and use the right tools to analyze actually what is going on on the ground and what can you do with satellite images, that's very important. And the algorithms uh, you develop to see actually the, the land use changes uh, uh, rather than just no drop of canopy, which is directly linked to, to deforestation, which is not necessarily the case. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of developments in that direction to get more sophisticated answers on what we initially concluded based on our subjectivity. Uh, and I think there we will see a, a lot more uh, of that development because people demand hard data for the verification. Emotions, sentiments are not enough. Hey, you need to, to show what, what is really going on. If also, I could guess, um, uh, Sakib, just your views on um, this issue of measuring impact. I think in my view, advocacy and education is um, very important. And I personally think that's missing to a large extent, um, especially from the developing world where um, the developed world is sourcing all the commodities from. So whether it falls in the hands of the um, multilateral agencies like EBRD or IFC or World Bank or the government itself, it's easier said than done because making people aware and educating them, especially at the point zero where the farmers are actually extracting these commodities because their incentives are very different. But this definitely would ensure that in the longer run, uh, we have a more sustainable supply chain. And once these people are aware that what kind of impact they can have on the supply chain or society or, or on their livelihood in the longer run, they're more likely to work uh, and adhere to the standards that uh, are necessary. Plenty of food for thought there. And so to our final panel, which was entitled Making Lemonade from Lemons, Can Tech Finally Drive the Agenda? For this fascinating discussion, I was joined by Marcel Hochstetler, partner at HKLW, Abba Schuber, co-founder and CEO of Dory, Emmanuel Gann, senior analyst at the World Trade Organization, and Christian Doolan, managing director of Agri Vanguard. One of the most interesting topics we discussed was the problem that confronts all new technologies that break new ground, interoperability, or the lack of it. With so many different innovations and systems out there, how can we avoid the Betamax, VHS, iOS, Android scenario? How can we create innovations that scale, that are not stuck in silos? And perhaps most importantly, how can we achieve interoperability that goes beyond data systems and devices and includes interoperability between institutions, between public and private sector, between innovators and regulators? I started by asking Emmanuel what interoperability means to her. Interoperability is critical indeed, and it means many different things and it means many very different things for different people. So you have technical interoperability that you mentioned. Indeed, what happens now is that we have a digital island problems. We have many different initiatives that use different technologies because blockchain is not one technology. It's a set of different technologies that have different consensus mechanisms. Uh, it's trying, even if you have the same consensus mechanism, it can be difficult to synchronize data across platforms because the platform may use different models to synchronize data, depending on how the data is stored, who participates in the consensus mechanism. So this is a critical aspect, of course, but there is more to it. Technical interoperability is only one aspect of interoperability. Another aspect is related to semantics and data models. Uh, for participants to share information across platforms, that data has to be structured. It has to follow a standard format. 
there's quite a lot of work being done in that area by different uh, different bodies, sometimes on a very specific aspect, um, for example, for the uh, bill of lading, where you have some work being done to develop a, a standard there. You have some organizations uh, that develop standards that are uh, broader or um, that, that cover the supply chain. UNCFACT is very active in that space. But what we see right now is that there are many different initiatives and we don't connect the dots. Uh, what I hope is that the recent initiative that the International Chamber of Commerce announced um, actually last week at GTR uh, Asia, uh, which is called the Digital Standards Initiative, will actually allow to make uh, great strides in, in that respect. Because what we need is to bring all the different stakeholders and really to have a holistic vision on that uh, to develop data standards for the entire supply chain. And the third dimension of interoperability, which in my view is essential, is regulatory interoperability. Blockchain technology is only a tool, we need an enabling regulatory framework for the technology to really deploy, to be deployed on a, on a broad scale. We need to make sure that um, legislation in the different jurisdictions recognize e-signatures or e-documents. If one of them does not, then you can't digitalize uh, trade transactions. But we also need to make sure that there's no regulatory fragmentation and that we all work in the same direction when it comes to recognition of blockchain transactions, recognition of the legal status of smart contracts, the liability framework, etc. And I think that not enough work is being done uh, in that respect right now. Uh, it's not something that many people have on the radar screen. And I believe we, we need to push for for more on that front. Absolutely. I mean, for some of them, it's thinking out of the box, and yet it's probably the most important thing that is actually on the agenda. If you don't achieve that interoperability, you have nothing. Um, Abba, what's your own view on uh, interoperability? To me, it's, it's about the technology interoperability and the policy interoperability. But uh, they're also very intertwined because they feed off of each other. Because as a tech builder and provider, very useful for us if there is a policy lead saying, these are the standards we want to adopt. These are the norms and the goals we want to achieve. And we can build to that. Otherwise, you get tech builders who, you know, they, they build these fantastic little islands and they got six people on each one of them who can play great with each other, but they can't get to another island. Um, so it's about having a high level, thoughtful policy dialogue that crystallizes into practical legislation. Dory is a a World Economic Forum technology pioneer. And that's a great outlet and platform for us to have these kind of discussions. But we're constantly having, you know, a, a back and forth of who should go first. Should the tech industry be leading and regulators watching, assessing and deciding? Or, you know, can, can policymakers lead and tech build? And there are questions of incentive and investment, which are quite challenging, but, you know, it, the, whoever asked that question, it's exactly VHS and Betamax. Um, we're, we're all hoping we're building VHS and, you know, the world will converge and, and we'll get there. But it, it comes down to how's your laser writing that on the video cassette tape and who can read it and <laughs> maximizing that, that interoperability. Thanks, Abba. It puts me in mind of the Doomsday Project back in 1986 when they carried out a digital survey of the UK to mark the 900th anniversary of the Doomsday Book. The problem was the information was stored on state-of-the-art laser discs, which 20 years later were unreadable. Uh, they did eventually manage to transfer the data online, but it was a close call. Perhaps they should have uh, stuck to vellum like the original version. And the paper still works. And that, that's why there's a lot of resistance to adoption. <laughs> still read that paper, right? 
if I may move on to Marcel as well, interoperability, I'm sure that's important to a lot of yep, people. Sure, thanks. So I, I like very much the fact that, that you have mentioned the regulatory um, interoperability. That, so that, that's a difficult topic again, because um, let's say this regulatory stuff so far is, is, is a very jurisdictional um, um, based mm -hmm. principle. But related to, to this blockchain adaptation in, in the regulatory spheres, sphere, not all, all jurisdictions uh, had, had the same risk appetite. So that, that's quite difficult to, to, mm -hmm. find, to find an, an alignment. But it is possible because we, we were facing a similar situation, um, let's say about 10 or 15 years ago, when the, the financial um, market system has more or less decided to switch from very much paper-based um, securities to, to, to non-paper-based securities. So that this adoption took place. Several jurisdictions started to adopt their, their um, uh, uh, rules and, and, and regulations. So I think it needs two things. It, it needs a strong push um, from the market side. So in other words, we need, we need to have a demand. Otherwise, there's no way that, that some uh, uh, regulatory alignment will ever happen. But I think it is necessary that, that some international standard setting is, is, is facilitating all that. Maybe the Basel committees or whatever, but it requires a, a top-level board. Yeah. Well, maybe it might be time for the world tech community to get together and, and get somebody on the Basel committee who really understands tech. Um, I think about my own involvement with the WTO. I was, as part of EcoBank, I was part of the um, trade finance expert group. And they were the ones who successfully lobbied to get um, liquidity ratio uh, cover changed and a number of other issues. And there's now someone who's specifically trade finance who sits with the Basel committee. So they won't do what they did with Basel III. Yeah, actually, I'm singing from the same hymn sheet as everyone else, which is not a surprise thing. We all work in tech. You know, if there is uh, like an accepted lead of standards and governance in and around data models and what kind of information and how are we going to share it if that is led outside of as an agnostic as a legislative across borders into this data security there's data privacy all kinds of stuff that makes our job so much easier because it, it we know where the goalposts are and then that really for us it makes adoption easier um, and that's where the clients because we were talking about investment and who's going to take the first step this is where clients will really start to get the operational efficiencies um, so even just end users will with if there is some kind of drive from the top down um, to get some governance and some standards this is where just every everyone using these technology solutions even if they're disparate and they're different they will get scale that was christian doonan from agri vanguard well, we're almost done, but there's time for my final thoughts from the end of the conference. These were gleaned from my own impressions at the event and from feedback collected by the conference organizer, Jeff Ando. I think what's so interesting is when you have such a, a wide gathering of people involved in commodity finance and the commodity value chain, there's a whole series of different themes which are running through the conference. I think the one which really stands out and has dominated is that banks are hurting. Uh, many of them are struggling to put out fires, Quite a few have been hurt by the withdrawal of ABN AMRO from commodities and other banks as well. And of course, there are a lot who are contemplating losses uh, from a number of frauds which have been exposed. And of course, you know, in Singapore, it's now over eight and a half billion, just the public fraud that's known. There's probably others in there as well. 
So though when you look at the traders, I think what I've been struck by is that there seems to be a real division in terms of sectors. Traders are very much focusing on the sectors they know well. So whether it's agri or mining, they came across as fairly bullish, in fact. Uh, a lot of their challenges tend to be around uh, tech and operationally particularly the problem with um, supply chain challenges. And you would expect this anyway during COVID, particularly with all the difficulties that you have uh, with disruption of everything from ports to people who can move the goods. There, are, there was a bit of talk, and I've heard this many years actually, about you know, uh, is alternative or non-bank finance going to step in to fill the bank, uh, the gap which is left by these withdrawals. Everyone's expecting that. Let's see if that develops. That's something I want to see really delivered on in the next few months. I think you could say there's a slight distinction in the comments coming out that there is a, a difference in the wider outlook for the commodities market and commodity financing market. And it's almost as if there are two camps there and they have slightly different uh, readings of the situation uh, and also slightly different challenges to overcome. I took the technology uh, session uh, and I think the thing I was really struck by is just how aligned everyone seems to be in the things that we want to do. It's very clear where the problems are, the blockages are, the, the, the proof of concept has been done for pretty much all of the problems that are out of there. And there is some evidence that there is a bit more engagement from a number of regulators. And we did talk about some of the regulators who are quite open to innovation. But at the same time, I think there is the, a lot of concern that there is so many different platforms and innovations out there. There's an impossibility in the real world to be able to uh, know which one to choose and which, which direction should you digitalize it. And I think that's why when we took a poll at the beginning of, uh, of the panel, that no one selected as a likely outcome of digitalization, reducing operational costs. So that's always going to be a big issue for anyone. On the question of sustainability, uh, on the panel, um, I got the panel to define it in whatever way they thought. And it, it just goes to show how complex the issue has been from what started out as a, something desirable, um, CSR, and it's turned now into ESG. Um, and what exactly is meant by this? Um, and I think there's certainly uh, you know, a huge amount of appetite out there for what is called sustainability-linked financing. But I can understand how there is skepticism out there. And in fact, one of the big issues that came out is really monitoring. How do you properly monitor um, and actually prove the impact that you're having? Um, because we've been doing this stuff for years on sustainability. And why do we still have the same problems we're facing? In some ways, you could say they're worse. But if I were to leave with one final thought, I think the thing I've just really been impressed by with this conference is it just reminded me that we are all connected and that we're all, we're all part of one big community. I'm so used to traveling, as many other people are. I'm used to going to meetings, going in the field. I'm used to those snatch conversations that you get, and you just can't get that on a digital format. But I was really reminded by this, this conference, the ability to dip, out, uh, dip in and out, and all of the different connections and conversations I've had with everyone, that it's just really encouraging to see that everyone has been busy. No one has been sitting on their hands since COVID struck. Everyone is trying to work out solutions. They're trying to fight fires, but everyone is focusing on the business. And as most people I could come across, they're busy. And that's because everyone's doing their job. And at its core, commodity finance and the commodity markets are always unstable and uncertain. It's a business that's designed to deal with this, even if this is unprecedented in terms of its crisis. So I don't think anyone expects it's going to be rosy going forward. We've got some really challenging months ahead. But mentally, everyone I feel is in the right space to deal with the challenge going forward. We have the pieces. And, you know, I've seen them in all of the different discussions we've had on the panels during the conference. Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you again to all the panelists for a rich and wide ranging discussion. Please look out for the next podcast in the series, which will combine excerpts from two other digital conferences. 
GTR East Africa in early October and GTR Africa in late October. The full sessions from all of these conferences are available on demand on the GTR digital conference platform. Register for free access on the GTR website, www.gtreview.com forward slash events. You can also subscribe on the website to GTR's podcasts and monthly newsletter. Thanks for listening.